Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the PI Window on the World. As always, I'm your host, John Hanson. You know, one of the interesting things, that theme song, somebody asked me, what is it? Uh, And I remember, again, I chose it uh, for the original inaugural broadcast, or first broadcast, I guess that would be the better way to say it, of of this segment back on March 26, 2009. The the name of the theme is An American at Heart. Kind of a funny thing to to have as a title song for uh, a Canadian who was uh, north of the 49th. Which, by the way, uh, living in Canada today is living up to its, its, its image because we're getting hit by a snowstorm that may be about 15 centimeters and then some rain. So nonetheless, uh, that tune is the uh, American at heart. And I've, I've had a lot of people say they liked it. So I, I'm glad. And, and that after a thousand shows, coming up to a thousand shows, uh, which uh, I've been talking about for the last couple of broadcasts, it's, it's kind of exciting. And along these lines of segments that I am interested in, and, and I'm sure you're going to find great uh, value is today's segment, which I'm going to be welcoming, Tanya Siri, who is the founder of Procurious. Now, we're going to talk about Procurious a little bit, and she'll give you some background. Um, Tanya, of course, uh, was kind enough to refer to this as approaching my 10,000th show, uh, rather than 1,000. And, and, and I appreciate that kind of optimism, and, and uh, certainly that was a key part because of, of her success and Procurious' success, because it wasn't that long ago that I remember the, the, the platform, the community, I think community is a better description, uh, being launched and, and seemingly out of nowhere, they have become what I consider to be a, a major uh, force in terms of bringing together procurement professionals so where they can share ideas, thoughts, breaking stories, all of those things. So without further delay, let me welcome to today's segment, Tanya Siri. Tanya, how are you? Welcome. I'm very well, John. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, you know what? It's kind of interesting. You know, for curious, for those who are already, and and I don't know, was I right in saying it's really a community, isn't it? That's right, yeah. It's using a social media platform, but it's a community. Now, I've got to ask you this, first of all, and, and, and going back, just very, very quickly, if you could provide a little bit of background. Why did you start Procurious? How did you come up with the name? What is Procurious for those of our listeners who maybe haven't had the chance to get the, uh, get the exposure that, uh, that they should? Well, look, uh, the name Procurious, obviously, Curious, wanting to find answers to uh, questions and problems and uh, procurement. So it was uh, quite a a fortuitous uh, combination of those two words. 
And like most of uh, the platform and community we have, it was actually uh, developed by one of our millennials. Uh, so a very clever 25-year-old uh, woman came up with the name, member of our team, and really they've designed the whole platform around how they would use um, this type of information source. Well, now you see, now this is interesting because this leads into the first question, the reference to millennials and the up-and-coming generation. Uh, in his latest book, well, it was released last year, but uh, it's, it's a great read. Dr. Robert Hanfield talked about the definite and definitive break between procurement professionals from the past and the up-and-coming generation, the millennials, indicating that he didn't believe that there was any real value in what was before. In other words, there's not really anything to pass along to this up-and-coming generation. Now, some may argue with that. Uh, he's certainly not the only one to believe that. Uh, Kate Vitasek, uh, uh, who uh, is, is also very well-known uh, in, in, in the industry, indicated that it's not until all the dinosaurs are gone that, <laughs> that, that you know, there's, gonna be, there's going to be this revolution, which seems to be symbolized by Procurus. Now, now, I say this with a certain emphasis on caution here because, you know, I, I mean, I'm fast approaching the age of 60, which is hard to believe. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, you could by age, at least chronologically speaking, uh, classify me as a dinosaur. So I'm not quite sure I feel comfortable with Hanfield's assessment. But it, it, what you just said is kind of interesting. You, you turned it over to millennials. It was their idea and their vision. I mean, how does that align with, with what Hanfield said and, and certainly Vitasek? Yeah, look, I mean, I think firstly I'd like to say that I totally agree with you and your view that Generation Next in procurement definitely exists. And I think as the complexity of our supply chains have increased, so have the number of issues that um, the procurement profession has to deal with. And today it's really hard to think of an area of business that modern procurement doesn't touch. We've got employment law, climate change, human rights. The list just goes on. And I think as business needs have grown, the expectations on procurement have definitely increased. Um, today, probably potentially more than ever, we need people that can both walk and chew gum, as I like to say. So, uh, you know, they need to be able to fulfil the technical requirements, but they also need to be able to engage stakeholders and deal with this barrage of issues. I like to say uh, we need professionals who are T-shaped. So. I think they still need, we still need this deep expertise in what we do. I don't think any of those skills are going away. But we also need to be across the business in all these issues. I think we're doing the profession a real disservice if we say, you know, procurement generation next has nothing in common with its predecessors. For one, you know, I think this is and always hopefully will be a very dynamic profession. Um, and I think we need to look back and, and reflect how rapidly our profession has evolved. There's been some really dramatic milestones. Uh, even if I look at my own 20-year career, I, I got into procurement uh, when I finished my MBA at Penn State. And all the MBAs that were completing with me were looking to get into procurement way back then and I don't know if that's the, um, uh, you know, so I was trying to think of some dinosaur era, Jurassic came to mind, uh, John, um, which era I was in. But, you know, 
we had MBAs joining the profession then. Uh, we were all leveraging globally. Then came the e-marketplaces, reverse auctions. Then we started outsourcing. We had the dot bomb. And then a fairly consistent view on you know, innovation risk management for the last few years. So I think we've always been adapting. And yes, there's more issues now. But we've got to be careful not to continually undersell ourselves or uh, walk away from some of the fundamental skills we need as a profession. Well, you see, now this is an interesting point, and 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 sometimes it's in the in in, in seemingly innocuous or subtle statements uh, that you can find the best meaning and maybe the connection. You see, one of the things that you said is yourself with an MBA and other MBAs uh, back 20 years ago had made a conscientious decision to say we want to go into procurement. Now, now I, I want to draw a parallel with the majority of the industry. Uh, and and uh, talked with this a little bit about uh, about this a little bit with Chris Sawchuk yesterday, uh, who's speaking at your Big Ideas Summit coming up on the 21st of April. But one of the things that's interesting is over the last couple of decades, uh, whenever I've spoken to audiences, whether 20 or 700, and asked how many people chose to be in the profession, very few people. If you got one or two hands. That was considered a large number, and gradually over time, and in the last couple of years, we've seen this, this increase, this increase in people saying, I'm actually choosing procurement as a profession. So here you are 20 years ago, you've chosen mm -hmm. as a profession. I mean, is that an important connecting point uh, with this uh, millennials that you referred to in your opening comment? Because it, it, I found that interesting as well. I mean, you've chosen to be in this profession. They now, more and more with, with increasing frequency, are choosing procurement as a profession. We're in the intervening years, and as, as Kelly wrote in, in, in the book that we co-authored, Procurement at the Crossroads, procurement or purchasing was a place you, you, know, you wanted to send somebody away to so you'd never hear from them again. Uh, but the reality is, is it's almost like, even though you've been around 20 years, the same thing that drew you to procurement, is it safe to say is the same thing that has drawn the millennials to procurement? Yes, I think so. And I mean, the scary part is that I actually had a 10-year um, career in marketing before that. So I guess I was, yes, I, I decided to move into procurement, but I think that's what we're seeing today too. Although people might not graduate uh, with a supply chain uh, you know, degree, they are you know, having a career and then being attracted to procurement. So once again, I don't think this is a new trend. It was happening back then, it's happening now. And I think that what I found, and there's two great CPOs, um, Sue Steele at Jacobs Engineering and Depo at JE at AstraZeneca, who've been recruited into their roles from other functions. And I think they bring a lot of this T-shapedness, if you like, or, or probably more skewed to the broader business issues, and uh, love procurement. I mean, they love it because of the, the the scope and the depth and the breadth. And I think what we I had a bit of an aha moment last year because we talk a lot about brand procurement and the need to promote the profession, and certainly that's what we're trying to achieve at, at Procurious. But it really dawned on me that what we really need is the smartest guys in the room. We had a CFO at um, the Big Ideas uh, conference last year, and um, he made the point that 
when he's on his global telepresences, he's he's sort of just looking at a mass of faces. He doesn't know which country they're from, which function they're from, but when he's trying to drive costs out of the business, he just wants the best ideas. He doesn't care you know, which function they're coming from. And it really dawned on me that that's really what we need in procurement is just the smartest guys in the room. So if we have to recruit them, uh, you know, direct from university where they're what I call thoroughbreds, where they've <laughs> studied supply chain, or if we're recruiting them from different parts of the business, I don't think it really matters. We just have to make sure that they're really sharp and have have great commercial acumen, and I think that will serve us well moving forward. Now, i got to ask this because, again, it's kind of a nice segue into the next question is, Procurious. You, you talk about getting the best ideas, the best thinkers, the most innovative thinkers, and we know that's important because back in 2007, a CPO agenda roundtable discussion with senior execs from, from major global companies said, I'll take one strategic thinker over 10 uh, everyday buyers any day of the week. Is, is, is Procurious that platform? I mean, generally speaking, social networking, social media uh, does provide the tools, and you have the LinkedIn's, which have groups. You have the associations, which we'll touch on momentarily. But generally speaking, is that at the heart of the Procurious community, is to bring together the most innovative thinkers, the best idea guys or girls or, 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 or people? <laughs> uh, is that the whole idea of, of what Procurious is about? Absolutely, John. I think that is the biggest opportunity for us as a profession because um, to sort of counter your early point, I don't think there's any such thing as solo genius. I think it's really tough to come up with the answers by yourself. And communities like this provide a platform for people to collaborate. And that's probably where, we, well, it's not probably, it is where we've seen the most activity on Procurious is the discussion area with the groups where people will ask questions and they'll have people from around the world answer them and provide insight. And that is a very powerful uh, tool for the profession, which is free online 24 hours a day. Um, and one of the observations I made very early on was that procurement can be a very lonely place. We're very specialised. We, we may be the only category manager for our particular category within our company, potentially within our industry, and if you're somewhere remote like Australia, within your country. So how do you actually get together or connect with people who are doing the same thing as you are, who, has, who have the same issues? So this social media now provides us with the tools, which we've never had before, to connect everyone so that we no longer need to work in isolation and, and can solve these problems together. So, yeah, I think that's the big opportunity for us. Okay, now this, this is going to be a two-direction two, two question. You know, <laughs> and again, I refer to LinkedIn and the groups they have, and there are procurement groups within LinkedIn. What makes Procurious so unique as compared to a LinkedIn uh, or, or other similar type social uh, networking platforms, although LinkedIn is, is, is taking a, a directional shift that is significant that, that is sort of undermining its credibility as a business network, at least what we've been used to. But, but how is this different? Question one, how is this different uh, from, from what uh, people can gain through the various procurement groups on LinkedIn? 
Well, look, firstly, a practical issue. LinkedIn has become very noisy. I mean, there's so much traffic there. There's so much happening. It's difficult to find people that, um, you know, even to get into those groups and connect with like-minded people. So Procurious is only for procurement professionals. You can see their profiles and connect directly. And also the functionality of Procurious allows you to have you know, a conversation with those people. So I think uh, noise and it being a specific community. I think secondly, and I guess I'm going to beat our own drum here, is that my team here at Procurious I mean, we are procurement professionals. We've worked around the world. We understand the profession and therefore we're constantly curating and um, trying to share information that's relevant to the profession. So some of the owners of the groups on those other platforms may not have that knowledge and understanding. Um, but look, there's definitely a place for everyone and you know we're an open network and um, because we think that's the key. All right, so I have to ask this then, going on the other side. Um, you know, let's look at associations uh, because you do mm -hmm. work with some associations, correct? Yes, we definitely do. We partner okay. with them. Uh, now, 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 by the way, I'm going to preface this by saying that I think that, that the, 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 the approach at this time makes a great deal of sense in that, you know, you don't want to alienate social networks because it's open and people are there, uh, but there are challenges on that front. Uh, associations on the other side, uh, and, and I'm going to cite what uh, IACCM CEO Tim Cummings uh, said, which I, I thought was at the time a very courageous statement considering his, his association, which is well-known and global, is, is based upon this model. But Cummings said that the traditional association model, one in where members pay an annual fee, is no longer a sustainable model. It is not going to work. He instead said that what we have to do is move towards an a la carte kind of a structure where if we are going to charge for something, there has to be a clearly defined value associated with it. There has to be a clearly defined uh, you know, return on your investment that is immediate, not this sort of, uh, and, and I won't call it vague, but certainly generalized view that if I belong to an association, I'm, I'm going to almost by osmosis gain some value. Now, Procurious, it doesn't cost money to join. It's free and open access. How does your model, uh, well, first of all, let's ask you this. What do you think about what Cummins said? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? And how does your model reflect that transition to, to a mindset, especially with millennials who are more confident with technology? I mean, there's a study. Uh, 35 uh, or uh, the, the majority of, of, of people under the age of 35 have never used a desktop computer and, and don't use a laptop. They're all handheld <laughs> devices. So they're comfortable with technology. They believe that they can Google search anything. In fact, Cummins said in, 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 a, in a panel discussion, if you wake up not feeling well, you're more likely to Google your symptoms than call the doctor. How does this, <laughs> you know, how does this fit in with your goal? I mean, is, is what Cummins said an accurate reflection? And if it is, what does that mean in terms of the Procurus model? Is that one of the reasons why you've grown so quickly? I think, I think we've got to recognise the tremendous value that all these associations have delivered to the profession. I mean, when you look at ISM with their mastery model. I mean, that's sort of like the backbone now for skills and competency development. Look at what SIPs are doing with the Slavery Act. 
BME doing some amazing work in opening up markets in China for European uh, companies. Those peer groups, or I should say they're, they're more peak bodies, can only do those sort of things because of their membership and their representative that. It would be very difficult for Procurious, and it's not part of where we see ourselves, would be to set standards and to uh, go and lobby government. We can certainly be a platform and a very powerful platform for bringing people together to agree on what, you know, what their position is on certain issues. But it's really not our position, given that we're a free community, to move forward and, and lobby and do a lot of the work that they've done. And Can I just interrupt for a second? I'm sorry you yes. say this, but let's go back to what you had said at the very beginning. Because I, I do look at the quality of information and the, the people involved with Procurious. And it is a high-caliber community. Uh, I mean, your original vision of having the best thinker and the best ideas is certainly coming to fruition. So let me ask you this, and, and, and this may be more succinct to the point. The fact remains <laughs> is, is that people are drawn to where the knowledge is, and people are drawn to where they can get the most benefit or derive the most benefit. If they are being drawn to, to a precarious uh, platform, and, and again, I'm not trying to box you in a corner here and say something, because I also appreciate the fact that you want to work with associations, you want to work with social networks, that is your position. But I see a dominance happening here with what you've done. Uh, at least mm. from the procurement world, where eventually it is going to come down to if, uh, if Cummins' uh, vision is true. It's going to come down to the fact is if given a choice between paying for information or getting free access to information in a community of the leading thinkers, uh, mm. I mean, naturally, where are people going to be drawn? Yeah, but we're all very commercial, and the first question everyone asks me is, what's your revenue model for Procurious? You know, how does it stack up? And, you know, at the moment, this is a self-funded community. and But as we know, nothing comes for free. And um, at some point, we're going to have to fund all the great things we do. So at the moment, our model is free and we intend for it to be free. But we couldn't stage things like Big Ideas, which is a forum for us to consider all this, without, you know, thought leaders and sponsors. And, you know, so we look to people like Hackett and ISM, Cooper and IBM, who were the real thought leaders in the profession to help fund those forums. So, you know, you can't sort of live uh, in denial thinking that, that everything can be free. Obviously, someone has to pay somewhere along the line. So I think with those sort of think tanks, you know, it's fantastic you have those thought leadership companies. Um, sponsoring things like this. But then on the other hand, you have events who are fully sponsored by sponsors where CPOs sometimes feel compromised if they have to, you know, spend one or two hours, you know, in a pitch-type situation. And I know a lot of um, CPOs don't feel comfortable with that. A lot of CPOs also insist on paying for a lot of things they do because they don't want to seem compromised. So, you know, I think this is a, it's a, an interesting area. I think the other thing with free information, John, is that it's really just that, it's information. And really, if companies want to tailor 
um, and, and be able to use the content in a meaningful way. It has to be tailored to their organisation and that's why our revenue model will hopefully be corporate subscriptions where people can have private conversations you know, with their own company. They can have their own tailored training uh, because you know, there's lots of free information out there and we hope to be the hub for all of that. But how you make it meaningful for people is where the cost is, you know, and that's the same with the associations or a consultancy. Now, I know this is an interesting, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but this is a very interesting point because it sounds like the very challenges that Twitter faced and there was a, I did a number of interviews, one with Shell Israel, who is foremost uh, expert on Twitter's evolution from the very beginning. And one of the, one of the segments that it did a number of years ago was can Twitter make money and Facebook and all of these transformation. It almost sounds like for curious, and it's a, it's a good situation to be in uh, to, to a certain degree, is, 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 is growing in much the same way that these uh, uh, networks have grown. And mm. now it's a matter of how do we monetize this thing? I mean, is it a possibility that down the road you might go their route and, 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 and do an IPO? We, uh, I think that this would be more of a membership-based model. I think that could be something exciting that um, the profession actually owns um, its own community. Um, so look, there are lots of options for the future of Procurious. I guess the key thing is to stay close to the customer and their needs. And I think a lot of global CPOs have some uh, pressing needs to connect. You know, if you're your global CPO, you might have 2,000 professionals around the world that you need to um, understand who they are, where they are, what skills they've got. You need to be able to see if they're available for assignments. You need to be able to uh, train them and respond to them 24-7. Because let's face it, that's, that's what defines a global CPO, is their ability to drive change management. And with tightening budgets and a lot of the restrictions, you can't just be on a you know, playing uh, constantly and you can't bring people together. So I think these social media platforms provide a really great opportunity for these global CPOs to stay connected and drive change within their group. See, your strength though, and this is interesting because you talk about the CPOs and, dri and driving change. This is a very interesting thing because I, I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and we, we all don't have a crystal ball, and, and I'll ask you this in, 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 in a quick minute, uh, but the reality is as you gain more, uh, let's call them members, as you gain more people, thought leaders, uh, providing insights, your, your, your number of, 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 of members in the community are going to grow exponentially as well. And you'll have a lot of hearts and minds and eyes and ears uh, that, that is really going to ultimately become what, what I would see as being the, 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 like the town hall or the, town, the, the, you know, the center of the town where everyone yeah, comes yeah, together. The, yep. but, but if you do that, 
then you're ultimately going to be in, 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 in the position to drive the dissemination of information in the procurement industry far beyond what associations, far beyond what LinkedIn could have originally envisioned. And, and so, you know, I mean, this, this procurious community is going to just continue to grow like compound interest. That means you're going to be coming up to making a number of decisions down the road in terms of what you do. I mean, let's face it, how did Uber start? How did any of these other things? Procurious reminds me, and I think that's the thing, of an Uber. It reminds me of Facebook and Twitter in the early days. It's driven by being in the right place at the right time with the right vehicle for people, especially this up-and-coming millennials and, and, and next generation or generation next, as I call them. I mean, you really symbolize or, or, or represent how they want to share information. You, you're going to come up to a number of, of, of key options uh, much sooner probably than you anticipate, aren't you? John, it'll be a lovely problem to have. Maybe I've been in business uh, too long, but um, you know, I'm I'm always uh, aware that if if something does look like an attractive gap in the market, I'll soon have some friends joining me for the finish line. But to your earlier point, I really believe, um, you know, philosophically that the profession deserves an open network. And that, you know, I would want to keep Procurious as open as it can be because I think for too long um, we've sort of been fighting over a small piece of the pie. You know, there's something like at least 4 million procurement professionals out there. And when you add up all the members of uh, the association, some of the large companies, you really struggle to think beyond a million or a million and a half. So... I'd like to think that um, in the true capitalist-type um, spirit, that people with the best content, people who are the most engaged, people that um, are getting demand from the community will be the ones that prosper on, on the network. I wouldn't want to, you know, Procurious at this stage doesn't want to be the one who's sort of controlling the information or uh, curbing, curbing the flow, so to speak. I well, think that's the power of an open network, yeah. Well, just to conclude, and, and, and I thank you for joining us, Tanya. I hope you'll come on again. But just to, to, to conclude, no one can plan going viral. But I think if I were to look at Procurious, I think you've got all the makings of a platform or, sorry, a community that will likely go viral. So um, uh, very good for you to join us today. And I want to remind everyone, April 21st, is the Big Ideas Conference, and you can follow it via the hashtag uh, Big Idea 2016. Uh, so, again, Tanya, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. And, of course, to you, our listeners, thank you for sharing your most valuable asset. Yes, I've said it. If I said it once, I've said it, okay, a thousand times. Well, almost a thousand times. Sharing your most valuable asset, which is your time. I want to remind everyone that this uh, interview, uh, this segment, is uh, not only available through a live broadcast, but also on demand, which means that uh, you can tune into it at any time at your convenience. It's a great, great feature of Blog Talk Radio. Until I come at you over these virtual airwaves again, I remain your host as always, John Hansen. Bye for now.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.